Chapter 15 of Mystery of the Caribbean Pearls by Andy Adams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 15 Almost Away. Charles Keane was winging his way back to Curatio. Derek Zook was in La Trinité across the island of Martinique from Fort de France. Biff Brewster was still a prisoner in the cell house outside Wilmenstadt. Herman Dietz and Spex Cade were at the Fisheries Commission office in Fort de France, giving a cowering clerk a very hard time. A tall, gaunt man, his body wasted away by a long siege of fever, lay on a narrow cot in a monastery high in the Pitons du Carbe. The time was approaching when all these people would be drawn closer and closer together, the magnet attracting them being a small but rich pearl fishery in the Bay de Tresor. When Charlie dropped Derrick off at La Trinité, he had had one suggestion as to where the Dutch lad could best start his search for his father. The post office, Derrick, Charles Keane had said, that would be your best bet. Your letter and mine both bore the La Trinité postmark. See what you can find out there. Derrick was now following Charles Keane's advice. A tall man, you say, very fair with light brown hair, the postal clerk asked. Yes, my father, Derek said. I know he was here about three months ago, perhaps a little longer than that. The postal clerk thought for a moment. There was such a man as you describe. I recall him. His appearance was in such contrast to the rest of us here in Trinité. But I have not seen him for months. I know. I haven't heard from him either. I'm desperately anxious for any hint as to where he might have gone. Zook, that was his name, wasn't it? Yes, yes, Dote replied eagerly. Again, the name I remember because it is so different from the names of the people who live here. Yes, many of us knew about this man. He was searching the waters of our treasure bay. That was my father, all right. It was rumoured that he searched for pearls, the clerk went on. The people of this village had great interest in his activities. Would there be any one person who might have known him well? When he was not out searching the ocean floor, he stayed at a small pension not far from here. You could inquire there. Where is the place? It is called by the name of Pension Sans Souci. You will have no trouble in finding it. It is on this very street. When you go out, turn to your right. A walk of two blocks will bring you there. Merci. Thank you very much, Derek said. His hopes were high as he walked down the street under a blazing tropical sun, but these high hopes were short-lived. At the San Susi, the boarding-house whose English name would be without care, Derek learned little more. "'I'm so sorry, young man, that I cannot give you any news of your father,' the manager of the small boarding-house told Derek. "'We were very fond of him.' "'He left no word as to where he was going?' "'No, we didn't even know he had left us.' One morning, quite early, he came to our modest establishment. I thought he seemed quite distraught. He was not his usual cheerful self. He had hardly a word with me, and it was his custom to chat with others here. He went to his room, to rest, I supposed. I went to awaken him for the noon meal. His room was empty. And that is all you can tell me. As much as I regret it, that is all I know. There have been rumours. What? What are they? Derek wanted any information that might be a clue to his father's whereabouts. It was reported shortly after father left us that such a man of his appearance had been seen in the foothills of the Carbe Mountains. 
but these tales were discounted. It would be highly unlikely that your father would explore the mountains. His interest was in the ocean and what might be at the bottom of the sea. I am sorry, young man. Derek left the San Sushi very disheartened. If the rumours were true, why would his father have gone into the interior of the island? And if he had gone there, why had he stayed so long? I'm going to find out, Derek said to himself determinedly. Every chance I get. I'll go to those foothills and peaks. I'll find him. In Forts de France, Herman Dietz could hardly contain his anger. Spex had never seen the boss so furious. But it could not have been, Dietz said angrily. He and Spex were in the fisheries commission office. The clerk they were talking to cringed at Dietz's words. You're a fool, Dietz raged. I tell you, Derek Zook couldn't have signed for those papers. Derek Zook is in Curacio, right this minute. The clerk could only shake his head. You remember what I promised you, Dietz continued. I told you, you would share in the proceeds of the pearl fishery. There was little that you had to do. Only hold up those rights until I could act. I tried, Mr. Dietz. I delayed as long as I could. Keen and the boy were here over two hours. I expected you here to lodge a protest, but when you failed to appear, I had to issue the permit. Well, I'm going to lodge a protest now with the commissioner himself. I'll tell him how badly you botched your job, how you permitted an impostor to fool you. Dietz stormed out of the office, followed by Specs, and made for the office of the commissioner. Another day is coming to an end, Crunch, Biff said to the giant carib. I'm getting hungry. How about my moving the alarm clock up half an hour? Crunch hungry too. Here. Crunch handed Biff the alarm clock. Biff moved the alarm, setting it back from 6.30 to 6. There, we'll have dinner half an hour earlier. During the long day, Biff had made great progress in gaining Crunch's confidence and friendship. He had drawn the simple-minded giant out about his brother. The crime the brother had committed was a petty crime, a small theft. Biff felt almost certain that the police had long since wiped the charge from the books. Even if they hadn't, the theft had taken place so long ago that Biff thought the statute of limitation would have erased the charge. Dietz, of course, had blown up the seriousness of the theft into a major crime. He had put a real fear into Crunch and his brother. The brother had paid a high price for his deed. Forced to hide out in Martinique, he had been separated from his wife and children for years. Little brother very much want to come back to Curatia, want to see family. Too bad, Crunch, Biff sympathised. I can imagine how he feels. Does he write? How often do you hear from him? No write letters. Can't write. Friends tell about him. Friends who come to Curatia from Ireland. From Martinique. That's right, from Martinique Island, many, many boat days away. You know, Crunch, I wouldn't be surprised if I could help your brother come back to Curacio. He might have to go to jail, but only for a short time. I don't know about that. If he did commit the crime, he'd have to pay for it. But wouldn't it be better if he faced the charge? His sentence would be light. At the end, he would be free. Crunch leaned forward to Biff. Big and powerful as the man was, he had the feelings of a small child. Biff could see tears in his eyes. You do that, Crunch, your friend. I can't promise, Crunch, but I do know that Dietz has been using you. Misusing is a better word. Biff wasn't sure Crunch understood. He couldn't be sure, but he felt that he was getting to the giant Indian. At first, it had been Biff's plan to gain Crunch's confidence, outwit him and escape. He still wanted to escape, but by now he felt a great sympathy for the simple, friendly man. 
He really wanted to help him. The alarm bell went off. Crunch stood up. No magic. You still be here when Crunch come back. I'll be here, Crunch, Biff replied. Crunch went out, still careful to lock the door behind him. There could be no doubt that his liking for Biff was growing, but fear of Jiet still guided the Indian's actions. Crunch had been gone about five minutes. Biff stretched out on the cot and turned to his left side. Ouch, he said as the pen slipped to his shirt pocket dug into him. He changed the pen to his hip pocket and settled face down, relaxed. Suddenly he sat up again, took out the pen and stared at it thoughtfully. Minutes later, Biff was startled by a call, a call from a voice that was good news to Biff. Biff, Biff, where are you? Sing out so I can come to you. Here, Uncle Charlie, I'm here in this house. It's the one farthest from the big house. I'm on my way, Biff. Biff leapt to the door. He stood there, hands grasping the bars, straining his eyes to spot his uncle. He saw him coming at a run. Hi, Uncle Charlie, Biff called. I knew you'd be back for me. He could see the big grin on Charlie's face as he drew nearer. Biff's smile of happiness changed to one of dismay. His uncle was only a few feet away. From behind a clump of bushes, Crunch appeared. He leapt out as Charlie passed. His huge arms wrapped round Keen. Look out, Biff cried. It was too late. Charles Keen, a powerful man himself, was helpless in the giant Indian's grasp. End of chapter 15